0: It's good to be with all of you. I want to welcome you to worship. I'm going to grab this. And uh, I'm going to give you some updates. As you know, probably by now, we've been in the season of a Lazarus initiative. So, uh, want to uh, um, uh, give you an update on some of the Lazarus stuff. So, if you, as you remember, we've been talking about what it means to bring new life to our church and to our kids and to to uh, our neighbors, uh, expanding our city kids programming, investing in the merger, and kind of basically relaunching this fall as as well as starting a new initiative around violence reduction in the wider Columbus area, central Ohio area. So um, our goal to accomplish all that was $30,000. So that's our goal. We can put up the next slide. Uh, $30,000 would break down uh, to just give us kind of like the basic amount to kind of get some of this stuff accomplished and keep us going. Um, so far from our church through a sale of uh, some things as well as mostly donations and pledges, our church has raised... Uh, uh, Twenty-nine thousand three hundred seventy-five. So that's pretty cool, huh? Ninety-eight percent there so far. Um, I'm excited though to let uh, let you all know today uh, that um, I had a chance to go back to our parent church, Central Avenue Methodist Church in Athens, and I shared this vision with them uh, under the invitation of their senior pastor, Paul, who some of you might know because he filled in when I was on break last year for a couple of weeks. Uh, about well, it was more than a couple of weeks, it was a while. You got you got stuck with Paul, great teacher. Uh, I shouldn't say stuck. I'm just giving. A hard time. Great guy. Very appreciative of Paul, as you'll see in a second. Invited me to share with their board, and he, they let us let me know that I'm now sharing with you that they've pledged an additional ten thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Um, uh, I've just really kind of blown away by all of it. Uh, we're, you know, we're definitely like the little, little engine that could creeping up the hill. I don't know how this happened other than, um, it's a testament to the people in in our lives, in in this church and in the wider community, um, who believe in what we're doing and want to see us do that. So, um, part of that, I've been thinking about this metaphor, um, to kind of give you all some hope and something, a way to frame kind of where we're at as a community. You know, Jesus often talks about, um, uh, church life, or the kingdom of God, as a, as a, in, in agricultural terms, uh, planting and sowing, reaping where you sow, these types of things. Any, anyone here actually into gardening? Uh, just a couple of you. Okay, uh, good city folk here. Um, I grew up in Hicksville, Ohio, and my mom had a garden. Let me tell you, like we're talking. Like, hipsters are really into this now, but, like, she was, like, original hipster. Um, Big garden, lots of produce, massive amount of canning, right? Um, Just the whole kitchen filled with canning. She had to feed seven kids on... I My dad's original full-time salary was, like, $25,000. Now, this was a while ago, but still, seven kids. It's not a lot of money, um, so my mom fed us uh, through gardening and canning, and, and so I got a little bit of that in me. I just started getting our our, our raised beds ready. Um, I'm a little behind. Uh, I should probably be further along in that journey, but I, I did finally get all of the last year's stuff out of there, um, and I was, I was thinking about this agricultural metaphor, right? Um, and uh, we're in a season right now uh, with agriculture. You, you have to kind of prepare. You have to till the soil. You have to Then you have to plant, and there's a lot of waiting, and you have to constantly be picking up roots. Eventually, you have fruit. And that's the whole reason you do it, right? Is And that's the fun part. And then you can share it with people. You can put your tomatoes on your hamburgers, you know, fresh lettuce, uh, carrots. All I mean, it's great. The fruit's great. Um, but there's an immense amount of work that goes into it. So actually, our plan as a church right now is that the work that we're doing right now will produce fruit. Our hope is later this fall. So we're following like the actual planting season. Right now, we're tilling the ground, we're planting some seeds, we're doing the work. And here's why I say this. There are a lot of people in our community. There are a lot of you who have given very generously to make this happen. But there are many other people, including uh, two of our board members who are online. So Jeff and uh, Charlie, it's good to see you check in there. Um, uh, Our board members, our staff, who are putting in a lot of hours. we're merging with another congregation. That's no easy task. We have all of these meetings, all of these conversations, very, very peaceful process and very mutual process that we've put a lot of energy into. Um, a fun fact, not a fun fact, but, a, but a, rea- a real fact is that there are people in our church who have experienced bad mergers in the past, okay? And that input has really helped me approach this in a different perspective and to approach this merger in a, a place that everyone could be treated equally. So uh, what my point is, is, there's a whole lot of conversations and work and energy and, and effort, and that's the season we're into. And we're putting the energy and effort, and we don't see immediate fruit because – that's not how this works so we're doing this work now we're investing we're planting seeds we're showing up to meetings we're having conversations around a new name all of this sort of stuff and my hope is that as we move through the summer as we claim a new identity and a new vision and as we basically kind of relaunch as one church with two services um that we'll have something new because right now it's like how do you invite someone to church like hey come be a part of our church we're also not going to be the same church in like a couple months. Like we're going to be different. It's just kind of a difficult season to do a lot of like invites or evangel, like outreach stuff. But this fall, when we have a new vision and a new community. So one of the things that we've decided, if you if you haven't heard yet, is that our boards, both Central City and St. Luke's have decided the most equitable process for a merger is just to have a brand new name. I'll let you know that St. Luke's advocated for this. Um, and and they're the ones that literally have their name chiseled on the cornerstone of this building, okay? So it's like, that's a big deal for them. They want a fresh start, and they want an opportunity for both communities to kind of move into a new future together. And they said a new name's the way to do it. Uh, and so we're in the process of having some conversations. We've received lots of suggestions so far. And... We're not going with a lot of those. Um, My favorite one, though, does come from one of our board members, and I think he meant it to be funny, um, was, uh, for the love of God, church. Um, (laughs) We're not going with it, but I I did want to share it. for the love of God. Uh, but uh, lots of suggestions. We're open to more suggestions. There have been some suggestions that a few of us are like, okay, okay, there's something there. Uh, but we're trying to find something that both our community and St. Luke's community can really be uh, feel good about. Um, so we have a survey. The survey isn't, hey, which of these names do you think we should be called? They're more value-based questions. How do you want us to be known? If you It lists, like an, it lists actual other churches uh, in our neighborhood and around the United States um, a variety of different styles of church names. And uh, I'd ask you, which one would you visit based on the name alone? And once again, we're just, that'll help our leaders kind of think through what's going to work well for us. And then there's a place where you can put in a name suggestion and we'll gladly receive those and prayerfully consider them. So I encourage you, one of the ways in which you can help plant seeds right now as we build towards the future is to to engage in this survey. Um, Go to centralcity.co slash survey, or you can use the QR code there. In your pews, there's a paper version. There there might be a paper version if it didn't get used last week. I I noticed there was quite a few, so you can look around. Um, You can fill it out and leave it in the back. Um, If you're willing to use your phone and fill it out digitally, you will save our admin a little bit of time. But uh, uh, if you're not going to do that, just fill out the paper one and turn it in. We want your input there. So we've been having these monthly conversations, and um, uh, we've been just talking about—we uh, have another one scheduled for May, uh, third Tuesday in May, so I would encourage you to—if you're willing, if willing—I'm really encouraging people to come to at least one of these. We are—the conversations we have in these monthly gatherings for both churches, we, we pull that information from uh, we use that information to to come up with this merger agreement. That's what we'll be voting on. We hope that before the next monthly meeting, we'll actually have the merger agreement ready for you to look at. And you can kind of see, like, this is what we'll be voting on. Both communities have to vote on it. Both communities have to get a two-thirds vote. Um, so um, – with St. Luke's being chartered, only their members can vote. With us not being chartered, anyone who considers themselves a part of our church, and this is their church home, will be uh, able to vote. But um, uh, one of the things we worked on last week, uh, last month, was we talked about our rhythms together and how we practice our faith and kind of had some good conversation around that. And then we asked people, what's your prayer for this? And as people are sharing their prayer for this season of our, Two churches becoming one. Um, I took notes, and then we took those bullet points and came up with a written prayer. So I'm going to share that with you. Um, and uh, uh, today I'm just going to read it for you. But in the future we'll probably pray it together. So you can put that up now, Tim. The, the prayer is very simple. So I, like I said, right now I'm just going to we're just I'm just going to read it to you, so you can kind of sit with it. In the future we'll probably pray it together, but. To the God who provides all and who meets us in our brokenness. And, and and once again, this language really came from these conversations. This is kind of the work that we're doing together. We ask that you take all that we have our gifts, our doubts, our fears, our challenges, our legacies, and vision, and use them to create something new. We know that you are the one who first prayed, that the church might become one. So as two churches become one, meet us in this journey. Give us patience. Courage to be honest, comfort in the journey, and resolve to engage in dialogue so that together we might experience all that you have to offer us. In the name of one who died and rose again, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's our prayer. You know, as we've talked to people at St. Luke's and, and, and a variety of you have been a part of those conversations, there's a lot of thing, themes that have come up. There's a, a, an interest in, in embracing the messiness of life and the authenticity of human life and... Um, a place where people can heal that's probably one of the big things that both of us have in common is that both churches have been a place where people have experienced difficult church lives in the past and creating space where people can kind of wrestle through their faith and, and ask hard questions and, and it be okay to do that so that's some of um some of what brings us together and we're really uh, uh it's been a process where i've seen god show up time and time again. Um, It's a great thing for us and it's a great opportunity to reach new people as we become something new. So that's my update. We're planting seeds. We expect to see a harvest from the work that we're doing. So I encourage you all, especially those who have put a lot of energy into this. Thank you. Everyone who's given to this, thank you. If you've given resources, given time, showed up to meetings, showed up to vision gatherings, all of that, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is an investment that will not go to waste. And I'm excited what God's going to do with it. Sound good? I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the sermon. All right, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for all that you're doing, for the new life that you're uh, inviting us to participate in, and that you are the God of resurrection, and that you're able to show up, and that after all that we've experienced, the difficulties of life and COVID, the difficulties of conflict and challenges, the difficulties of figuring out how to raise children, the difficulties of figuring out how to keep my job, whatever it is that we're struggling with, Lord, in our community and in the wider neighborhood, we trust that you are with us. So meet us in this time. In your name, amen. Um, I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm getting ordained, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting journey getting being ordained in the United Methodist Church uh, Methodist is the key word for our denomination and if you want to understand our church there's there's a number of ways to understand our denom- methods is a big part of it there's a- um, also, you could describe as hoops to jump through. Um, but I, it, I've been on a ordination journey for ten years. Um, I I, uh, s- I started pastoring as a local licensed pastor uh, about ten years ago. and then I've been on a journey for local license and then certified candidate and eventually I became a provisional member, which is like if you think university setting like I was tenure track and now I'm ordained, which, it is a lot of things theologically they don't they don't want you to say it this way but it basically means I have I have tenure now um uh, but that's not how I'm supposed to look at it um but anyways that's kind of like that's it's so it's a big moment but I, but last earlier this year I had to fill out all this paperwork and I had to answer all these questions and what's interesting is the last time I did this was before the church plan, which was you know in another season of my life this was before Finn This is before we stepped out and moved to Columbus, you know, and you have to answer a lot of questions around like just really basic stuff of of, of, like, what do you believe about God and Jesus and and all of this sort of thing? You can kind of see where I'm going here. And I was working on this and I was like, there was something really beautiful about that. Just sitting down and thinking, okay, what do I believe about God And, and how has ministry in the last 10 years Living in community changed my view of God, changed my view of humanity. How has it fleshed it out a little bit, even literally, you know? And it was such a rewarding, surprisingly rewarding paperwork. Not all paperwork is life-giving, but I thought this was really good. So I said, you know what, later this year, I'm going to share it with you all. And that's what we're doing here. Not, not my paperwork per se, but this bigger conversation of like really basic theology of what it means to believe and what do we believe as Christians and uh, things like what do we believe about God and humanity and grace and Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit and all that. And that's something I encourage you to think about. How is your life with other Christians, your life through COVID, your life addressing racism, your life engaging in issues that you care about, your life, you know, how is your life in the various facets of how you live your life shaped, changed, challenged? Your understanding of God, your understanding of scripture, your understanding of what it means to be a community, your understanding of other humans. Um, You know, next week we're going to talk about what we believe about humans and I was up in the sound booth and uh, I said, what do we believe about humans? And one of them was like, generally overrated. And I was like, that's actually, that's a pretty great, uh, generally overrated. We're not, but I thought it was funny. But anyways, um, you know, I'm calling this series Basic, uh, which brings up an old show that I like uh, called, uh, so I have to just name this. Uh, It's a show called, uh, gosh, now it's leaving me. Come on, help me, friends. The Good Place. If you like philosophy and comedy, it's a great little uh, combination of the two. Love The Good Place. And uh, they have this uh, this uh, critique of each other when they want to make fun of somebody or degre- they say, you're yeah basic. And uh, the- I had to go look this up, so thank you, Urban Dictionary. Um, it means that you have subscribed to what is popular without much critique, and you're just kind of generic, you know? So we're calling this series Basic, um, but I'm hoping that we're not just gonna have your basic theology, okay? Really kind of going back to these really basic topics, what we believe about God, Jesus, humanity, you know, statements of faith that are found often in statements of faith, but hopefully presenting them in a fresh way Uh, and wrestling with them in a fresh way so that we can strengthen our faith and challenge some of the assumptions we have about it. So the first topic we're gonna talk about today is God. And here's my disclaimer. Covering the nature of God in any sort of talk is, is an uphill battle, it's a challenge, it's a big topic. Um, but it's important. So we're going to try to scratch the surface today, give you some big ideas on on, on what I believe about God and what I think uh, is, uh, you know, kind of what our church believes about God. Maybe not everyone here, but generally speaking, I'm going to cover some big ideas. A.W. Tozer said it like this once. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I know for a fact that some of us have a love-hate relationship with God. That at various seasons of our life, we've been angry with God. There's nothing wrong with being angry with God. People in the Bible have been angry with God. God can handle your anger, okay? God's, God's God, God can handle a lot. But there's been times when people have been angry at God or, or we identify God in various ways. One of the struggles with understanding God is we have, to, um, we have to kind of bring God down to a level that we can understand and by doing that, we minimize who God is. It's the only way we can know God. So think, think of it like this. One of the main characteristics of God is that God is mysterious, eternal, vast, huge, huge. God is big. Beyond our comprehension. Scriptures say, my ways are higher than yours, my thoughts are higher than yours, right? One of the first characteristics of God is this, that God is beyond any, God is not us. Everything that's in this world, everything that's natural, can be studied and probed and poked and researched and opened up and understood on some level. But God, by definition, can't. In fact, if you boil God down to a definition that can be studied and poked and prodded and understood completely, you are not talking about God anymore. You are talking about something you've created. By definition, God is the great other. All right, so we're getting a little philosophical here. Stay with me. God is that which we can't understand. It's this great mystery. I like to think of it in terms of the universe. Um, You guys do the planetarium at COSI, anyone? It's great, they got a new show in there. Tom Hanks narrates. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? I mean, come on. And uh, it's a great, it's a passport to the universe if you haven't gone, it's, it's, it's a great show and it shows you the vast, I, I wasn't, I'm not gonna show that video, but I, I do wanna show this one. You can just push play and I'm gonna talk over it. Um, you know, whenever you go to these planetarium shows, they, they like try to help you understand the vastness of the universe. Now I love the planetarium, I do get a little motion sickness when I'm there. Anyone else? If this was on a giant screen, I would probably be a little dizzy afterwards. But these shows try to help us understand just how big our universe is. And and the reality is is that it's it's really hard for us to understand just how big our universe is, right? It's almost like the theories that it's eternal, infinite, right? To infinity and beyond, Pixar says. And you just keep going out, and you keep looking further and further, and it just keeps getting bigger, and, and, and it becomes overwhelming. And I think about this, and this is, this, is, this is where I start with a big idea of who God is. As big as we can observe in the universe, by faith I believe God is bigger. Right? I mean, I that, that, can't prove it, you know, it's not about that, it's about faith. And I believe that God is bigger, that God created the universe. That's, what I, that's, that's kind of like the basic belief of God, that God created everything. And that God put it all together and that as big as this is, beyond what we can even fully understand, even though Tom Hanks tries real hard to explain it to us, <laughs> that God is bigger, incomprehensible, so very Big, and it just keeps going and going and going. And planets turn into galaxies, or planets turn into solar systems, which turn into galaxies, which turn into universes. And then in one of these all the way down is, uh, well, us. One way to think about God, bigger than the universe that we know. Here's a less interesting way to think about God, but just as important. Our uh, our church comes out of uh, is a United Methodist Church, and it was formed uh, out of the Church of England. Interestingly enough, John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism, was a Church of England priest in the Church of England. Church of England has its roots in the Catholic Church. Some of you historians know. Uh, why the Catholic Why the Church, Catholic Church England became the Church of England? There's some you know there's some stories there, some drama, um, but ultimately the Church of England kind of developed its own theology that was unique. And then John took that theology, John Wesley, and kind of tweaked it a little bit. And then he gave it to the American Methodists, and then they tweaked it a little bit. And we have what goes back all the way back to the Catholic Church. These what we call Articles of Religion. Doesn't that sound like something the Catholic Church would have? Sorry, Catholic Church, but uh, it goes all the way back to probably that. And the first Article of Religion, Article one is an attempt to define god what a what a bold thing to try to do but this is this is a what we consider a founding document this is kind of like the basic understanding of what we believe about god and the holy trinity it's article one there's other articles you can look up the articles of religion we're going to share a few of them in this series but here's this definition of god there is but one living and true god everlasting right eternal infinite everlasting bigger than the universe with one, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible, so creator of all that we can see and what we can't see. And in unity with this Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This is an attempt to boil down a definition of God that people who have different experiences of God and different perspectives of God can kind of all agree on. So this was you know, a democratic attempt to come up with a definition that we could agree on. Here's what I want to focus on today, the three parts that are listed here. You can go to the next slide. Um, this God who is uh, infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. So the first one is this infinite power that God is bigger than anything we could comprehend, God's ways are bigger than ours, all of that sort of thing. I was thinking about how to explain this because how can we know a God who is essentially unknowable? Well, God chooses to reveal God's self to us. It's what we call revelation. Not the book of Revelation, the act of revealing. God chooses to reveal. But when God reveals God's self to us, um, it by very definition dumbs down who God is. So let me give you an example. God is described as father. That's a great image for God. God is like a father. A father who cares for you and provides for you and protects you, you know, historically and anthropologically, you know, like it's the father's a good illustration for God. Is it a perfect illustration for God? What happens for an individual who has an abusive dad and they keep hearing about God being God the father and you're like "Ooh, I don't want to think of God like my father who beat me or made fun of me or made me feel small do do, do you see what I'm saying like anytime God attempts to bring the nature of God down to a place we can understand it it's fine but it but it sometimes falls short I think of it like this I, I meant to bring a map do you guys remember paper maps I used one um, a while ago, like a couple years ago, like back when I was in college. It was the last time I used a paper map, um, mostly for trails. And uh, I was in Scotland with my brother, Josh, and a friend of his. Uh, he was stationed in England at the time in the Air Force, and so we went to, I went to England, and then we drove up to Scotland, and we were hiking, and we rented some mountain bikes, and we're biking around the highlands of Scotland, and I've got a map, and I'm feeling, I'm pretty good with maps. Also, I was not in the Air Force. And fun fact about me, not always in a lot of good shape. Okay? (laughs) My brother and his friend, though, were in the Air Force, required to be in good shape, so they are having a much easier time mountain biking in the highlands of Scotland. And I'm, like, getting very exhausted, throw in jet lag, this isn't going well. And I decide that I'm going to... I look at the map, I say, this is where we're at. You guys are gonna go on this long route. I'm just gonna take this shortcut around here and I'll meet you back because I just couldn't do it anymore. And they're like, that's fine, which was a mistake. Long story short, I'm lost. (laughs) I was not reading the map right, but I'm lost in Scotland. It's getting late. The sun isn't setting because it's so far north, but it's like getting late. Um, some people found me and they helped me read the map. But what, what I was thinking about this is this map. You lay out a map, so you have to kind of imagine a map. And the map tells you what is there. It tells you where the trails are. It tells you where the forks in the road are, right? You've... But the map is not the same thing as the location it's mapping, is it? Like if, you, if all you had was the map, and you thought that was it, it would be a pretty lame world. It's different than when you're actually there. In fact, sometimes you can get the map and the real thing confused. Like, I thought I understood the map was describing this, but it's not. Now, does, hey, look, a park map. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> imagine, uh, imagine, though, this is how one of the ways I view Scripture, right? Scripture is a revelation, it tells us who God is. But Scripture is not God correct? Now, is the map, let's say the map is not the same thing as the real thing. Does that mean the map is inaccurate? No. Does it mean the map's inadequate? Not really, because it's still doing what it's supposed to do. What it simply means is that the map is not the same thing as the real thing. So any sort of revelation from God, God describing who God is, is like a map. And it's the best we have to kind of chart our way through this mystery. But it's not the same thing as a real thing. God is vast. And so what I'm going to share today is what I hope to be um, really just bits and pieces of this map. Who God reveals to us about who God is. And from my own experience. So not only do I view God as mysterious and holy and powerful, and the response to that is reverence. That God is not us. And that God is holy. So much of the Old Testament is rooted in this idea that God is holy, not in a religious sort of way, like we think of it like better than you, holy rulers, but in a powerful sort of way. That God is what we need, but God is so big and so powerful that we have to be careful around God. C.S. Lewis captures it well in one of his uh, novels. They, uh, Jesus is described as a uh, the lion, and someone says, is this lion safe? And they say, no, he's not safe, but he's good. There's a pretty f- famous quote. Um, I was described, it was described to me, the, the, the holiness of God, the power of God, described to me this way. It's like radiation. It's like chemotherapy. And uh, um, chemotherapy is one of these things that we need to, to fix our bodies, to cure us, but too much of it will kill us. Very limited understanding, okay, I'm not a doctor. But uh, And so, so much of the Old Testament is like, we need, we need the power of God, but too much of the power of God is going to kill us. And if you read the Old Testament, you can start to understand how they interact with God. One, one, of, the, one of the leaders of the Old Testament is like, hey, God, I want to see your face. And God's like, you can't see my face. You'll die. So it's like God is powerful. Here's the second thing, that God is wise. You know, it's hard in life Figuring out what to do and knowing what's best. And the season that I'm coming out of, knowing that God is wise, and I actually like this other word better that God is wise, because that feels a little archaic, that God is clever, even sneaky at times, that God is able to creatively solve problems on our behalf. Uh, Proverbs 8 talks about how wisdom was there at creation, that wisdom goes all the way back to the very nature of God, that wisdom is this thing that helps determine the best route through the craziness of this world. Jesus talks about how we should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, you know, this cleverness that you see in God. And here's why I love this. I've made a fair number of mistakes in my life. Uh, usually not on purpose. Those are my favorite mistakes, the unintentional ones. Anyone else good at unintentional mistakes? Yeah? Yes! Me and you, J.B. Everyone else in here doesn't. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I've shared this before, I'll share it again, but but I think this captures the wisdom and the cleverness of God. My mom once told me out of a fear of making mistakes and then I would ruin God's plan for my life. God, my mom said, you know, God already knows the mistakes you're gonna make and has planned for him. Uh, just recently in an email amongst some of our board members and uh, I won't say who, but I hope it's okay to share. Uh, I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting this loosely. Uh, Uh, we were talking about various decisions we have to make as a church, and one of them said, I'm not too egotistical to think that I can mess up God's plans. (laughs) That's another way of saying it. I, I have found that we as humans are fragile, and we don't always do what's right, and we sometimes make bad decisions, or we give off the wrong vibe, or we hurt people's feelings, or we hurt each other. But somewhere in the midst of all that, I imagine a God who's able to move and work, and still produce good in the world, even with us. There's a real cleverness to that, and I've seen that in my own life. In fact, even suffering. When I've suffered, I've seen God use that for good. There is suffering that I have experienced and endured that looking back, I don't think God wanted me to suffer, but looking back, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I would have ever learned what I needed to learn any other way doesn't make the suffering good. It just means, it just shows how clever God can be, that even in a broken world, God is able to clever. And that's the problem. Like, we struggle with this problem of evil and suffering in the world. And we're like, why if God is all-powerful, that God doesn't just stop it? Well, God's power is more mysterious than than the way in which we think about power. So we think about power where we force things. God doesn't rarely ever force anything. God is more clever than that. God kind of works with it. It's like, I'm not gonna force humans to be good, but I'm gonna work with them and try to make good out of what we do. So God is mysterious, God is wise or clever, but both of those things have a distance to them. You can experience something that is powerful and something that is clever without being in a relationship with them, okay? So it's something that happens over there. God is powerful Way off over there. God is clever. Way off over there. This third attribute of God, which is very important, is not only that God is powerful and that God is wise, but that God is good. More specifically, what we've sung and proclaimed today over and over again, that God is love. And here's the thing about love. You can't express love. And you can't experience love from a distance. It's always in relationship. So yes, God is powerful, and yes, God is wise, but if God is also love, then there has to be some way in which we can be in relationship with love. You know, um, A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, sort of disagrees he pushes back on this idea he says it differently so let me share C.S. Lewis's quote he flips this around and I think it's important he says how God thinks of us he says so what comes from our minds about God is most important but he says it's the opposite how God thinks of us is not only more important but infinitely more important Indeed, how we think of God is no importance incept insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. So what he's saying there is this. How we think about God, you know what? We might think about God wrongly, but here's the truth. How God thinks about us is the most important thing. And I can't explain it, and I can't defend it with science, but the basis of my faith would say, that God thinks of us and God loves us. You, me, That this infinite God of the universe that is at times mysterious and clever and I don't always, I can't really understand, that God would love us. There's a lot of religions that believe in God um, Some of them have similarities, some of them don't. Um, There's something unique to Christianity. One of the things that makes Christianity unique, and this is shared across denominations Catholic, et cetera uh, United Methodist, Evangelical, non denominational, Baptist, whatever, is we believe that God is somehow three in one, right? What we call the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This three in one. And you're like, well, how does that work? I'm going to default to, and it's going to be my answer most of the time when you ask me who is God and how does this work, I'm going to say, well, it is a great mystery. (laughs) That's why I started there. I don't don't fully understand it. But here's what I do get about the Trinity that I think is profound. God exists as a relationship because God is love. If if a relation, this gets a little lofty, but if relationship was a substance, that would be what God is. That God exists eternally as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are constantly in relationship and loving each other and one with each other. That God's very nature is relational and that for whatever reason, not because we deserve it, God invites us to have a relationship too with the Trinity. Because God is love. Which is another way of saying that God is relational and that God loves you. In fact, doesn't he say that? They'll know we are his disciples when we love one another. Jesus' prayer, uh, right, like a day or whatever before he is uh, tried and hung on the cross, his prayer is that the church would be one, that be unified. And you know how he prays it? He says, just as my father and I are one, may you all be one. We're, we're invited to live like the Trinity. Did you catch that? He says, just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one who live in perfect unity and love one another and care for one another, I hope the church is like that too. I hope the church is truly Trinitarian. Not because it ascribes to a particular belief about the Trinity and signs their name to it, but because they practice intimacy and love. How do you define God? The Apostle John boils it down to that one phrase and it's profound in its simplicity. God is love. Jesus invites us to love one another. Jesus goes as far as to say that if you say you love God and you don't love other people, you're a liar. Jesus goes as far as to say this, that if you don't love other people, you failed to love me, Matthew 25. we are like, well, when did I fail to love you, Jesus? I haven't even bumped into you. And he's like, well, when you didn't give water to someone who was thirsty and food to someone who was hungry visit someone who was in prison. If you didn't do that, then you didn't do it to me. There's this deep connection between how we love one another and how we love God. And one of the main reasons is this. It's because we get a glimpse of the way in which God loves us when we experience it with one another. That's my challenge for you today. Who in your life could you love better? Go out of your way not to make yourself look good or to be good, but to practice Trinitarian love where you go out of your way and bring joy to someone else. That's where it starts, and that's the invitation that God is bringing to us. Parents, if you want to uh, have your kids take communion, now is the time where you can, where you can head down. I'm going to wind... About, um, this message and then um, after communion we are going to sing our closing song. Over the next couple of weeks we're going to spend some time in some basic theology and there's no way that we're going to be able to really unpack everything. There's lots of ways to understand God for example but next week we are going to talk about humanity and it's really perfectly timed because one of our big theologies around humanity is with this idea that humans were created in the image of God and I'll add that that's the, also the chapter we're looking at in How to Fight Racism. It's like chapter two, or chapter one, I don't forget whether we did the introduction, but anyways, it's one of the early, it's like the next thing we're looking at, where Jamar Tisby unpacks what it means for humans to be created in the image of God, and how that should impact our understanding of race, and the fight for racism. So these we're gonna be looking at it in a couple different ways. So I encourage you, if you wanna dig deeper into this conversation around uh, the next topic in this series, is to join us on Wednesday, either in person or, Online. So with that, um, I'm going to invite you to pray, and then we're going to share in communion together. God, um, remind us at times your awesomeness. Humble us before you, and at the same time, remind us of how much you love us. Help us to understand what we need to understand in order to know you and to follow you. As we wrestle, as we ask questions, meet us in that. We give you thanks and praise. Amen. So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, that he was sitting with his disciples, the ones that he told to love one another, the ones where he had once said, the greatest love you can have for somebody is to lay your life down for them to sacrifice yourself. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that. I'm sacrificing myself for you to show you what that looks like. And I'm going to share with you this bread and this juice as 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 a real symbol for what it means to experience God's sacrifice. That Jesus would come and love us, allow himself to be beaten and torn, his body broken and his blood shed facing all of the worst that the world has to offer and loving the world anyways. And he invites us into that same thing. And so we sit together and we have a meal where we eat and we drink and remember what it means to be disciples of Jesus. So he took the cup and he offered it to them. He said, take this. This is a sign of a new covenant. A new covenant. We're going to do things differently moving forward. And he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is, this. This is my body broken for you. And I'm inviting you now to be the body of Christ, which might need to be broken in order to save the world. And so we invite you, uh, our elements today are gluten-free, and um, I'm going to pray over them, but then you'll be welcome to come forward. We just invite you to come up on this side of the aisle, and then turn, and you can go back to your seat on this one as you feel led. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you descend on these gifts of bread and juice and make them be for us, the body and blood of Christ as we sit and share a meal together here and at any time that we would sense your presence, that you would feed our hungry souls and we might know that the God who is eternal and everlasting and mysterious and beyond our comprehension has chosen to meet us here and love us and we give you thanks. Amen.